President, we have a national emergency. This is one of the things that we can shoot first and ask questions later. Uh, normally you can't do that. All of a sudden these trees started moving out of the way. They parted for me. And then I came out into this opening and there where I saw Jesus Christ. Welcome in to End Time News. I am your host, W. Dean Shook, bringing you the news the mainstream media is never going to touch. And I am proud and pleased to be able to do that. Thank you for joining me. Let me say welcome to all of our listeners on the iHeartRadio network, our regular broadcast affiliates, our internet connection, which of course is the Blog Talk Radio Network and the Spreaker Radio Network. We're going to have an interesting discussion today in the second half of our show. I'm going to play a clip from an interview that is going to really explain Sharia law and the dangers of Sharia law in America. Now, this is uh, going to be uncomfortable for some people, and I may tick some people off. And I understand that. Uh, it's not going to stop me, though. I'm going to tell the truth, uh, which is what's most important. Before we do that, though, the news of the day, and I want to start with a story from D.C. Clothesline about a Texas honor killing where this Muslim lady says, I can't wait until my dad puts a bullet between your eyes. A Texas woman accused of stalking her sister before an honor killing of her brother-in-law. She stalked her sister for months, delivered a chilling warning to the brother-in-law shortly before his murder, authorities said. I cannot wait until my dad puts a bullet between your eyes, according to Nadina Ersan, allegedly told her sister's husband. The 30-year-old appeared in court Tuesday to face charges she was part of a twisted family campaign of hate that resulted in a pair of honor killings in 2012. This was reported by KHOU. Ersan's hardline Muslim father was furious when her sister... Nursin Ersan married a Christian man without his approval, authorities said. The irate dad, 57-year-old Ali Mawood Arsan, first gunned down his daughter's friend, who he believed led her astray from her fundamentalist upbringing, according to prosecutors. The father threatened his daughter by saying, I'll kill that and you're next. Then he came for her husband, Cody Beavers, shooting him to death in November of 2012 in the couple's home. The dad was charged with murder in the dual homicides. His wife and 21-year-old son also faced charges in the case. Nadia Ersan hasn't been charged with murder in either of the deaths, but that could change, authorities said. 
She's accused of tailing her sister, even slipping a GPS device into the estranged sibling's car in the lead-up to Beaver's killing. In Islam Sharia law, honor killings are honored. And it seems that OpenYourEyes.com has caught the DHS bussing illegal Somalians from the Mexican border. The U.S. is bringing in 100,000 Muslims every year through legal channels such as the United Nations Refugee Program and various visa programs. But new reports indicate a pipeline has been established through the southern border with the help of the federal agency whose job it is to protect the homeland. They're coming from Somalia and other African nations, according to a Homeland Security official who was caught recently transporting busloads of Africans to a detention center near Victorville, California. Somalia is the home base of Al-Shabaab, a designated foreign terrorist organization that slaughtered 147 Christians in a university in Kenya just last month. It executed another 67 at the Westgate Mall in Nairobi, Kenya in 2013. It has put out warnings that it will target malls in Canada and the U.S. Dozens of Somalian refugees in the U.S. have been arrested, charged, and convicted of providing support to overseas terrorist organizations over the past few years. So when Anita Fuentes of OpenYourEyesPeople.com posted a video of a U.S. Department of Homeland Security bus pulling into a shell station in Victorville on the night of May 7th, admitting that he had a busload of Somalis and other Africans who had crossed the southern border, they raised more than a few eyebrows among those concerned with illegal immigration and national security. A man who appeared to be a Customs and Border Patrol agent was filmed at the gas station about 10.30 p.m., and when questioned by Fuentes, he informed her that his large touring bus was full of Somalis and other Africans being transported to a nearby detention center. The tour bus had the U.S. Homeland Security logo, and the agent appeared to be calm and professional. The windows on the bus were covered. When asked if he was transporting illegal immigrants, the driver said, No, we ended up taking some people to a detention facility. I bet that makes you feel nice and safe and secure at night when you go to sleep, doesn't it? Well, according to Breitbart News, Obama has ripped Fox News and says we're going to have to change how the media reports. Ooh, really? Well, ongoing for seven years, we've learned three things about President Obama. One, he loves the poor so much that he continues to create more of them. He loves the poor so much he does everything in his power to keep them poor. He doesn't see the opposition as loyal, but as bad players, his enemy. This is especially true for Fox News, which Obama ripped as anti-poor bigots during a Wednesday afternoon summit on poverty. He said, we're used to this, Obama, the forever partisan who has never seen himself as president of all the people, but only of those who worship him. What was most revealing about the president's comments was he expressed his desire to change how the media reports. Speaking on Fox News, and the way GOP leaders think, Obama said, we're going to have to change how our body politic thinks, which means we're going to have to change how the media reports these issues. 
Do you think we're going to have to change how the body politic thinks, which means you're going to have to change how the media reports on issues, how people's impressions of what it is to struggle in the economy looked like, he said, and now budgets connect to that? Now, that's a hard process because that requires a much broader conversation that typically we have on the nightly news. Obama loves the poor. He loves them so much that he's using it as an excuse to change the way the media reports. Well, he's going to have a tough time on this program. And according to WSD, a house ban on abortion after 20 weeks. At last, here's some good news if you're anti-abortion. Calling a bill to ban abortions after 20 weeks of pregnancy, the most pro-life legislation to ever come before this body. House Speaker John Boehner congratulates the 242 Republicans and four Democrats who voted Wednesday for its passage. The pain-capable Unborn Child Protection Act cites evidence fetus at 20 weeks can feel pain. It's time to open our eyes and allow our conscience to catch up with our technology. This according to Trent Franks, a Republican from Arizona, the bill's chief sponsor. It's a test of our basic humanity and how we feel as the human family. The bill had initially been scheduled for a vote in January to coincide with the annual March for Life in Washington, D.C., you know, the one the media didn't report on, but was abruptly canceled when some Republicans objected to a provision permitting abortion in the case of rape or in the, if a crime had been reported to the police. The new bill instead requires women claiming sexual assault to receive medical care or counseling at least 48 hours before an abortion. They'll still be able to have the abortion, but they have to wait 48 hours. Not only does this law protect children in the womb who can experience horrific pain, this also protects mothers from the increased risk of physical harm, the tremendous psychological consequences that come with late-term abortions, and the Senate, which will consider this bill next, can rest assured this is a good law. Stephen Aiden, senior counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom, said every innocent life deserves to be protected. We commend the House for putting the health and well-being of mothers and unborn children first. And I would agree with that. However, according to Breitbart, Obama strongly opposes this 20-week ban. Now, in my last program... When we talked about racism from the top down, I told you that this is a minority genocide. Abortion is an American genocide for all races, but targets minorities individually. And President Obama is opposed to any restrictions that would stop this genocide. This, according to Breitbart News, President Obama strongly opposes the House bill that would ban abortions earlier than 20 weeks. Even though Republicans made changes to the bill after it was pulled by leadership in January, during the White House press briefing today, Press Secretary Josh Earnest described the bill as disgraceful, asserting that the changes to the legislation were only sensory. He claimed that if it passed, the Republican bill would directly add a harsh burden on victims of race, incest, and sexual assault, even though rape, sexual assault, and incest are less than one-half of 1% 1 of all abortions. The other 99.5% of these babies that are murdered through abortion will just have to pay the price. This piece of legislation would actually, ironically enough, insert the government right between a woman and her doctor, he said. 
pointing out the Republicans usually want government out of the doctor's office. Obama issued a veto threat on the bill back in January before it was updated to reflect concerns for some House Republicans. And let's move on to an incident on our southern border. Fifteen gunmen invaded a Texas home. They shoot a mother and a child. Hard to believe this story. A group of 15 heavily armed masked gunmen kicked down the door of a Texas border home, opened fire without warning in a home invasion that injured a 9-year-old boy and his 33-year-old mother. The assault took place in the morning hours. It was a rural home near the city of Harlingen. The gunmen kicked the door down, began shooting at random as soon as they arrived on the scene. This according to Cameron County Sheriff Omar Lucio, who said in an interview with Breitbart, Texas, the spray of bullets injured the woman and her child, but the woman's husband and other children were not harmed in the shooting, Lucio said. He classified the woman's injuries as minor, but the child remained at a local hospital where he's listed in stable condition. During this robbery, the gunman yelled out, Policia! Policia! which, as we all know, is the Spanish word for police. Preliminary information suggests the robbers attacked the wrong house. They didn't take anything from the property. Sheriff's investigators are still working to identify the gunmen who are believed to have arrived in at least three vehicles. According to Lucio, the family inside the home is not believed to have any relations to criminal activity, were simply random victims. As previously reported by Breitbart, Texas, home invasions along the Texas border are a different breed of crime. Since they often involve gunmen with ties to Mexican drug cartels, storming houses to steal drug loads, or abduct human trafficking victims from a rival crew. Our border is secure, right? Well, i got a couple here for our U.K. listeners, so you folks in uh, the U.K., listen up. And uh, you folks in America, you might as well listen up, too, because uh, you know what happens in the U.K. happens here. There's a report that hundreds of U.K. nationals have returned from the jihad in Syria. Over 700 potential terrorists have left the United Kingdom in order to carry out jihad in the Middle East. Now, according to Scotland Yard, Alarmingly, about half of the jihadists have now returned to the UK. They say about 350 individuals are considered to be under the category of significant concern. After returning from Syria, on average, British authorities are arresting one suspected terrorist every day. This according to Sky News. Assistant Police Commissioner Mark Rowley a British counterterrorism official said about half of those who were suspected of having been involved in illegal overseas acts are coming from Syria. The number of people who have traveled to Syria is past 700. In terms of those who are significant concerns to us are the security services. They're not aid workers or visiting relatives. These are people of real concern that are getting involved in fighting or are supportive of it. They're potential terrorist suspects, he explained. Rowley was asked how many of the individuals in question have returned from Britain. He said it's a fairly even balance between those still out there and those who have come back. Scotland Yard figures show that 338 people were arrested on terrorism charges in 2014 and 15, which is one-third higher than the year before. And uh, UK, since I've got your ear, have you ever heard of a British actor named... Michael Enright, he's one of the several hundred Westerners who've traveled to Iraq and Syria to join Kurdish combating units 
in fighting the Islamic State. Now, for all of you people who say, I'm just one person, what can I do? Well, here's an unusual volunteer in several respects. He's 51 years old. The first time he handled a gun was at a shooting range right before he left for Syria. And he's almost certainly the only YPG fighter who's appeared in movies with Tom Cruise and Johnny Depp. Enright was in good spirits when he talked to the UK Daily Mail over the weekend about his decision to take up arms against ISIS and his experiences in Syria thus far. He doesn't seem to have received any special treatment from the Kurdish YPG militia due to his pre-war occupation or connections to celebrities, and he doesn't want any. He's not looking to hold down a desk at some Kurdish media office. He came to fight. He said, where I'm going in the next two days, say a prayer for me because I'll be going to a place that has a lot of action, a lot of fighting. This is what he told the Daily Mail. He's already done a month's worth of guard duty on the front lines watching coalition fighter jets attack ISIS forces. He'd like to see a bit more of that, he says. The Daily Mail describes Enride as angry that Britain is not bombing Islamic State in Syria, concentrating instead on Iraq. He thinks the Kurds could defeat ISIS in Syria with more air cover. He said we're outgunned. We're outmanned. We need the air support, he said. Enright's story is breathtaking in its simplicity. He's seen the horrors of ISIS. He felt it was his duty to his native Britain. The America where he prospered and the victims of the Islamic State atrocities do something about it. Fortunately, he had friends in the British SAS who could put him in touch with the Kurdish YPG militia. He made his arrangements quietly, without telling friends or family, because he feared that they would try to talk him out of it. He brought everyone in his life up to speed on a Facebook post after he arrived in Syria. He said, for me, the biggest regret of my life was not going to Afghanistan when 9-11 happened, he told the Daily Mail. The beheading videos brought out that kind of feeling in me. In a real sense, I had a duty to my country and to America. I really feel a debt to the country. You know, they welcomed me with open arms. What a warrior. And what a sacrifice. Thank you for that. Well, and I want to tell you about a disturbing story that's being reported by The Age. You know, the second half of this program, we're going to talk about Sharia law. Well, before we do that, let me give you an example or two of Sharia law. The Age is reporting that all cultures are not equal. Islamic culture is degrading to women. Women have to be virgins, and the patriotic Sharia will police that by having strange men put their fingers inside of their women. Female military applicants in Indonesia are subject to virginity tests, including the discredited two-finger test to determine if a hymen is intact. In order to recruit the best people into the armed forces, Human Rights Watch is lobbying countries, including Australia, who are attending an international conference on military medicine in Bali next week. They're doing it to urge Indonesian President Joko Widodo to abolish the discriminatory and invasive testing. What is the test? Well, Andreas Harsono, an Indonesian researcher for Human Rights Watch, said the two-finger test involves a doctor inserting fingers into the vagina and the anus to determine if the hymen is intact. The unscientific approach says that if a hymen is torn between 11 o'clock and 1 o'clock, it means an accident. But if it's torn at 6 o'clock, 
It means frequent sexual exercise. She would then have to explain why her hymen is no longer intact. If it's due to an accident, we'll still consider it, but if it's due to another reason, we cannot accept her. He said military personnel needed to be fundamentally fit because they have to carry guns to guard Indonesia integrity and sovereignty. It's very important. Well, what shocked me was finding that the doctor who was to perform the test was a man, a female military academy applicant who was subjected to a virginity test in Bandung in 2013, told a human right watch, I felt humiliated. I was very tense. It's all mixed up. I hope the future medical examination excludes the virginity test. It's against the rights of women. So everyone who says we need to respect Islam in our country, and all the college women who want to wear the hijab out of respect for Islam need to understand what they're doing, because clearly all of these American Islamic sympathizers have no idea what they're quote-unquote respecting. Now before I play this clip of Sharia Law Explained, let me illustrate one of the problems we have in our own government with these Islamic sympathizers. I want to play you a clip from Democrat from California, Maxine Waters. In this first clip, she's telling some Muslim in an Islamic society meeting that she's introducing a bill to Congress that would stop the racial profiling of Muslims. The racial profiling of Muslims. See, the problem is, Islam is not a race. It's a theocratic religion. But she doesn't seem to know that. In her wisdom, she says anyone who opposes Sharia law is a bigot. Listen to this clip. And due to the focus of House Republicans on so-called Muslim radicalization, we have seen politicians and pundits attacking the Islamic faith as a security threat to the United States. Across the country, these people are exploiting fear and trying to convince state legislatures that the steady adoption of Sharia tenets is a strategy extremists are using to transform the United States into an Islamic country. The scare tactics are working in at least 13 states where lawmakers are now considering the adoption of legislation forbidding Sharia. A bill in the Tennessee State Senate, for example, would make adherence to Sharia punishable by 15 years in jail. And one of the nation's Republican presidential candidates, Newt Gingrich, has called for a federal law that says Sharia law cannot be recognized by any court in the United States. Now, those of you who know me know that I call names. And I tell it like it is, and so I want you to know who these people are. In addition to the state attack, the chairman of the House Homeland Security Committee, Congressman Peter King, has vowed to continue his controversial radicalization hearings, specifically focusing on Muslim Americans. While it is a challenge for lawmakers to strike the right balance, in protecting both liberty and security, Chairman King and other Republicans' disrespectful approach to thwarting extremism is contrary to American values and actually threatens national security. Effective national security policy must not unfairly target 
or single out anyone community that focus on racial profiling, we need to increase understanding and engagement with Muslim American communities to keep the entire country safe and secure. Closing, I want to quote Daniel Mock, director of the American Civil Liberties Union program on freedom of religion and belief. This is what he said. He said it was important to recognize what's really going on on these anti-Sharia laws. They're motivated by anti-Muslim bigotry, plain and simple. Sharia equals Islam and Muslim, and a vote against one is a vote against another. Now just to keep this in perspective, I want to play another clip by Maxine Waters that really gives you a, a, a good idea of her motivation and how she thinks what her plan is for America. Now remember, she's a Democrat in Congress from California. She's sitting in office now. Listen to what she said. What guarantees are you going to give this liberal about how that will reduce the cost of uh of uh, gasoline at the pump if we let you drill where you say you want to drill. I can guarantee to the American people because of the inaction of the United States Congress ever increasing prices unless the demand comes down and the five dollars will look like a very low price in the years to come if we are prohibited from finding new reserves new opportunities to increase supplies. And guess what this liberal would be all about? This liberal will be all about socializing uh, um, would be about basically taking over and the government running all of your companies. Oh, my goodness. Well, before we start our discussion on Sharia law, let me take this short break. I'll come right back, and uh, we're going to have this uh, discussion of Sharia law. It's very informative. I would encourage you to listen closely to this. We'll be right back after this short message. You're listening to In Time News. Hi, folks. Have you noticed the federal government and police departments are using drones for everything? Drones are expensive. They're hard to fly. It can take up to a week just to learn to make a drone hover. Not anymore. There's a new generation of drones that are not only affordable, but very easy to fly. Now, you can have your own personal drone, anything from a micro mini that'll fit in the palm of your hand, right up to a full-scale model, 10 inches in diameter like the model I have, the V949 Pro. Comes with a 6-axis 4-rotor blade and an HD 2.4 camera mounted on the bottom. These drones are made of a space-age polymer. They're durable, and don't worry about crashing your drone. Replacement blades for this drone from the website are only $1.80 for a pack of four. That's right, I said $1.80 for a pack of four replacement blades. You can also get an extra long life battery. This battery allows you up to a half hour of fly time with a maximum speed of 40 miles an hour. Have your own personal drone, and you can get all of this for under $70. If you go to the website, wdeanshook.com, and click on the banner on the webpage, you can get from 7 to 22% off your personal drone. It's shipped as a kit. You can be up and flying your own personal drone with an HD camera within a half hour. Come to the webpage, wdeanshook.com. Click on that banner and get your discount today, wdeanshook.com. Five. 
stand up to supporters of terrorism, or we and our allies risk losing the freedom we cherish. We must not let the jihadist government of Iran get a nuclear bomb. President Obama has had opportunity to stop them, but he's failing. Join with us, and let's secure America now. There is a sense in the world, there's a sense among believers, there's a sense among unbelievers, there's a sense among all peoples that things are unhinged. The Middle East is unhinged with uprisings, revolutions, and where is it heading? How are followers of Jesus to relate to all of these things? How do they relate to biblical prophecy? America is in spiritual, moral crisis. Values are changing, and so rapidly. I mean, that have not happened in the history of man. How are level-headed, responsible Christians to relate to the testimony of the biblical prophets and the unfolding of chaos throughout the world? Not just believers are wondering, is this a sign of the end? GoDaddy offers everything you need to make a name for yourself on the web, from domain names and website builders to complete e-commerce solutions. We've earned our place as the world's number one accredited domain registrar by delivering world-class products at competitive prices and support them with industry-best services delivered 24-7, 365. We're proud to serve our customers from locations around the world. Sign up now at wdstrip.com and get your domain name as low as $5.99 a year. Sign up now at wdshook.com. Go, Daddy. Go, Daddy. Do you think the media is biased? Maybe they're leaving something out, or there's something they're not telling you. Now, you have a source for the truth in the news. W. Dean Shook, End Time News. Your connection to the signs of the times. Welcome to our program. We've got a great one for you today. We've got three special guests that you've already heard. We've got General Boykin. We've got Kamal Salim. We've got Dr. Emir Kanner. We've got two fellows that came out of Sunni Muslim background. One that grew up in the United States. His father built mosques. And when he became a Christian, his family disowned him. Didn't kill him, but disowned him. And the other one grew up in Lebanon. Learned about jihad when he was seven years of age. Was involved with the PLO, with also the Muslim Brotherhood. And after a lot of conflict, was sent to this country to infiltrate our society. And uh, worked with the Muslim Brotherhood here in our country. And we're going to talk about that up ahead. But uh, the Lord changed his life and and in a wonderful way. And so we're talking about what is happening. I mean, Islam is just in the news all over the place, every day. And people are having questions. What is going on? What is happening? 
what is this thing that we call Sharia? Because we see country after country embracing Sharia. You all know that we've got the OIC at the United Nations. You've got 57 countries that have banded together, and they are trying to outlaw anybody that would even criticize Islam in the world and do it with punishments. Can you imagine? We're going to talk about all of this today, and uh, Emir, I'd like you to start us off. What is Sharia? Give us a definition. Where does it come from? What are the Pew polls telling us about how people in the world view Sharia? The viewer has to understand that Sharia comes from two things. One is the, the precepts of the Quran, and secondly is the example of Muhammad. When you blend those two together, you get what is the constitution of Islam. Sharia comes from the Quran itself, uh, Surah 45 and verse 18, that clear path that each person is to follow. So it deals with you, Islam being a cradle to grave religion, 24-7. It deals with how you dress, when you go to war, who you're going to marry, how you do finances. It is your jurisprudence. It is your constitution. It is so important to the listener to understand this because when the rise of communism came in the 19th century, they had to understand Karl Marx and Frederick Engels and Das Kapital. It is crucial that the person listening understand what Sharia law is, that they read it for themselves, especially through the most authenticated sources, which is al-Bukhari and Muslim, the two most authenticated sources, to recognize all of these Muslims moving in to officialize this political Islam, what that means to Muslims, non-Muslims, to those who want to follow Islam strictly, to those who are going to be subjugated and persecuted because it now becomes the official path. Let me ask a follow-up on that, and that is why is it that it would be against the Constitution of the United States to have people here in America practicing Sharia? Yeah, I remember in 2006 uh, when a Democratic congressman took his oath of office on the Quran. Uh, Keith Ellison, Democrat from Minnesota, and it was strong and stark, not simply because I was a Christian, when you usually take it on the Bible, more so because you put it on the Quran, you can't uphold the Constitution and hold to a literal Quran. Just take Article 1 with the freedom of speech, assembly, press, and religion, where you do not have that according to Hadith. If you say anything against Muhammad, you can be fined, imprisoned, and killed. That is part of Sharia. There is cruel, unusual punishment in Sharia law. That takes away Article 8. The way they treat women is against Article 14. So you start listing the problematic sources that you can't have the United States Constitution or Sharia. One will win over the other, and we are in a political battle for our soul. Let's follow up on that, too. And Kamal, uh, you know that you know all about Sharia. You've lived under Sharia. You wanted to bring Sharia here to America. You tried to do that. All right. And you've seen it in, in fact. One of the things that uh, struck me about what Emir was just saying is that when this is given to you, you accepted, when you accept this, it's given to you in stone. You don't have choices after that. This is the way it's going to be done. Why is this a threat to Western society all around? Well, we've got to understand that the indoctrination, when it starts with us, it starts at young age. I learned right there on the same table that I ate on, right there where I was eating. That's where I was learning what to do and what not to do. So therefore, we were subjugated. We were 
you know, roped, we were yoked with Sharia from our childhood. But that's for us. But in order to live that Sharia, we, have, we must subjugate our enemy to Sharia. So therefore, what happened is there are stages of Sharia when it's imparted to different nations. By percentage, when a Muslim are weak, when a Muslim are in good standing, when a Muslim in power. Explain that. What does that mean? It, it means when you are 1% uh, and lesser of, the population. of a population, mm-hmm. what happened then? You are peaceful. And over there, the Sharia law that you practice is the, uh, it's the you know, which is the hidden Sharia, which is you practice your, it yourself, and now you affect the sphere of influence that you have, your neighborhood, and what so have you. When it accelerates a little bit to 2%, now you start going to the jail system, poor neighborhood, universities, and what so have you, and start affecting the government itself and subjugated the Sharia by lobbying. And when it accelerates to new level, it starts demonstrating into the street and put pressure by intimidation on a society. And when it goes greater to that level, it starts doing you know, radical things to the point we see what happened in France, for example. These people were trying to say, don't mess with us, civil war coming on our way, because this is our way of life, and if you don't you know, uh, respect us, then we will make you, you know, uh, or you lose your nation. Uh, we are coming to this here, uh, the whole world, uh, we are coming to this. So Sharia law, it is the principle of Sharia law is to subjugate the nations, even indirectly, to Islamic laws, like freedom of speech, liberty. Uh, freedom of uh, expression, uh, freedom of media, uh, freedom of constitution. All these will have to submit the Sharia law because they could not exist. Why? Because they are man-made constitution while Sharia is the constitution of Allah and Muhammad to the Muslim. And so therefore they must subjugate everybody even to the point enslave them to that understanding by either, you know, make them their slave or even commit death in their life. General, uh, there's so many people in our country that think it could never happen here. Yeah. They don't even understand how much we're being influenced. But when you start to explain it to them, their eyes will open up. I'd like you to pick some of the examples of how Sharia or the goal of achieving Sharia here in America is taking place. John, this is a constitution. Um, I served this constitution for you know, 36 and a half years. Article 6 says this constitution shall be the supreme law of the land, which means there can be no foreign law. I worked with the Center for Security Policy in uh, 2011. We did a study. We studied 50 court cases in uh, 23 states around the nation and found that judges admitted that they administered justice using Sharia as the foundation for that. That's illegal. It's a violation of this Constitution. Don't say it can't happen here. It is happening here. Judges are using it. The most egregious case was the Muslim woman in the state court of New Jersey, the family court, who wanted a restraining order to stop her Muslim husband from beating and raping her. And the judge in that court said, no restraining order because your husband is a Muslim. He's allowed to beat and rape you. She won it on appeal. But that's just an example. It is in America. And the other thing you need to realize is that there are Muslim front groups, Muslim Brotherhood front groups in America. It was proven in 2008 uh, in the Holy Land Foundation trial when 
Muslim groups all over America were identified as unindicted co-conspirators when uh, five defendants were convicted on 108 counts of raising funds in America to support Hamas, a recognized terrorist organization. And all these front groups, there was close to 300 of them, starting with the Council of American Islamic Relations, were identified as front groups for the Muslim Brotherhood. They still operate with impunity in America today. They are prolific in every element of our society. And what's really interesting is the leading Muslim advocacy group, the Council of American Islamic Relations, CARE, was identified about two months ago by the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia as being a terrorist organization. Now, the question that we all be asking as Americans, has our government declared them to be terrorist organizations when their own kind are recognizing them as a terrorist organization? The answer is we have not. We have a problem here. Follow up on that thing that you're talking about. The states have recognized that some of these judges are using Sharia to adjudicate their cases, and they they have tried to pass laws to stop that. Tell our folks what happened when they've done that. Well, Oklahoma was the first state to actually pass this law. It's called American Laws for American Courts. And the uh, Eric Holder Justice Department immediately challenged it as being unconstitutional. Other states began to modify it, uh, and now I think there are nine states that have actually passed it. The one that, that everybody was hoping would uh, pass it this year was Texas. Uh, but Texas has gone the other way. Texas has now, uh, up in uh, north-central Texas there, they actually have an enclave up there where there is uh, overwhelming evidence that they are now allowing imams to administer justice. But these state legislatures, and I would say to, to your audience here, if there's anybody that has influence over this, get your state, your state legislatures, to start working on this American laws for American courts. The camel's nose is already under the tent. And don't say it can't happen in America. It is happening in America as we sit here today. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to ask the fellows to talk about uh, what happens to women if we adopt Sharia law. Okay? If you are a woman and you're watching, I think you'll be interested in this next segment. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. We're talking with General Boykin. We're talking with Kamal Salim. We're talking with Dr. Emir Kanner. And right now I want to approach this topic that we hear country after com country embracing Sharia and becoming the law of their land. We've talked a little bit about what it is, but what happens to women in a society that embraces Sharia? If we were to embrace Sharia here in America, like some are advocating, then all of you that are ladies out there, what happens? What are the rules to the road that you would be living under? All right? And Dr. Kanner, I'd like you to talk about this first. Well, crucial to the discussion, I think, is from the Quran, Surah 434, any woman should read it, is uh, to a Christian, we say Ephesians 5 is one of the marriage chapters to, to the Muslim. It's chapter 4 of the Quran. Uh, if a man fears disloyalty from one of his wives, he's allowed up to four, according to chapter 4 and verse 3. Uh, he has three progressive steps 
to take care of her. He verbally admonishes her. It's a disciplinary action. If she doesn't listen, then he does not share his bed with her. And so he removes himself from intimacy, which is, of course, poor counsel, but that's what it says. And then three, it says, beat her. And there's no other way to translate it from the Arabic, although in the English translation, it will put in parentheses, lightly. And then there will even be in Sharia how to beat a woman without breaking bones and bruising and so forth. That's one of the crucial verses. Uh, In fact, it's so bad that in one of the hadiths, uh, Aisha, Muhammad's wife, comes to Muhammad with a woman. She's wearing green clothing. and says when she unravels her clothes, she is as green in her skin as her clothing because of her husband beating her. But in Islam, women are not allowed to leave their husbands unless they have spiritual infidelity, they leave the faith, they're proven insane, or they have committed adultery of some sort. So the woman tries to say, my husband can't have children, because she has no other ability to say just because of beating. That's a right in Islam to beat her. And Muhammad finds out that she has children, her husband is not impotent, and so has no right to divorce. So Muhammad says, you go back and sleep with him again. There's a picture of how women will be treated if they follow the words of Muhammad, who at that point is not a prophet, he's a psychologist. He's dealing with marital counseling. He's dealing with his own, in the Hadith, that Muhammad's talking about women having half the intelligence of a man, in, in Bukhari's Hadith, volume 3, number 826. This is just a small portion of what we would deal with, where women are a field to be plowed, chapter 2 of the Quran says. What about inheritance? Well, the inheritance, you know, Muslims love to brag that they, the rights were given to women after Islam came in. And, but it's not true that there is an equality of inheritance. And they have to realize this not only with inheritance, by the way, but with children. If a woman divorces, the, the husband has full right over the children when the boy is seven and when the, chi- when the girl is, is nine. So there, there really is no control of the family besides what the husband controls it's true of inheritance. It's included with children. That's the issue of Islam. It, has, it is completely antithetical to how the West lays its foundations for freedom and for equality of women. Kamal, what would you add to that? Well, it goes deeper than this. Muhammad says, I looked upon uh, hell and I found the fuel of hell is made out of women. You know, and then he, he said, you know, a woman, also in Sahih Bukhari, he said, she is half brain of a man. She never have the same understanding as she had her ministerial uh, you know, experience. So Allah, Allah made her to have half brain of men. So therefore she's not equal to the men. In Islam, the woman is second citizen. She's not first citizen. In Islam, a woman must be owned by her father, by her husband, by her uncle, by her brother, by her son, but she must be owned. Also in Islam, when a man marry a woman, he is purchasing her sexual organs, so she become his to own, to have. In Islam, also in the Quran, it says, if it, she allows you further, you know, to, to oppress you further, you have the right to kill. You know, so therefore what happened is we find out that even, you know, this is called honor killing. Honor killing came to the United States of America, and uh, many of these men, after they killed these women, they said, we've done nothing wrong. What is honor killing? Honor killing is when, when a woman dishonor you, so you have to spill her blood to wash the dishonor. You How know. can they dishonor you? Uh, dishonor you whether she looked upon, like for example, 
uh, we look at the uh, two sisters uh, that their father was an uh, Egyptian taxi driver in Texas. You know, they went out on a date to the movie theater on New Year's Eve. He asked them to the hotel, and after they came to the hotel, he shot them in the head with a pistol. One called 911 as she's dying. Another one in, in, in Seattle, what happened? He ran over his daughter with his Jeep Cherokee eight times because she does she want to go with an Ameri- marry an American man. Uh, and the story goes further more and more. So therefore, a woman is only second citizen, but the non-Muslim, the infidel, are not even citizens. They don't come to be a citizen because you are not equal to Islam. So therefore, you lose your authority in all this. And now, as a woman, the Muslim have the rights, if you are not a Muslim woman, to have sexual, you know, uh, you know like raping is, is okay. We see in Europe today there are uh, thousands of rapes, you know, happening throughout Europe because they are permitted to do such a thing because she is not a Muslim. The same we see with ISIS. If she is not my flavor of Islam, I have the right to do anything to her. She, women can be bought, she could be sold, a man can marry four women, and he can divorce anyone, she could not divorce him. And what happened is, she is his slave to have. Emir, what does it take for a man to divorce a woman? What does she have to do? Uh, for the man, he just declares three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Uh, there is a waiting period to find out if she is pregnant or not, and that's it. Uh, remember, in Islam, for a man, not for a woman, he has more rights than her. So, for example, he is allowed to marry a monotheist as long as that monotheist converts to Islam and raises the children as Muslim. He has a right to have four wives. She's, of course, not allowed. He has a right to divorce for any reason, irreconcilable differences. So he has complete control over her, which, as Kamal pointed out, really is a property right of sorts. And that's why you're watching what happens to women in Afghanistan and Iraq and so forth. And when the Saudis themselves look at women, they have modesty police, religious police, who guard the women's modesty and their apparel. And even if they're wearing Muslim garb but it's too tight, they get beaten with a stick till they get new garb to put on. It is from the smallest to the largest extent that women are completely controlled by the men of their lives, whether first their fathers or their older brothers and then their husbands. Emir, what happens if a Muslim woman is listening today and were to hear about Jesus Christ and she would say, I want to put my faith in him because I believe he is the Son of God. He came and he paid for my sins. He is the way that I get to heaven. I want to put my faith in him. Could she do that? Well, and I've had that happen. I've had the privilege of leading Muslim women to Christ from North Africa and former Soviet republics and so forth. It's a sad thing to watch the fear of having to tell their father because they know he's the one that's responsible for their souls and all sorts of things. If you're in places of North Africa, you go to re-education camps uh, until you're uh, taken and brought back to Islam. If you won't listen from there, you'll be put to death. Many times it'll be the father or the older brother who's the one to pick up the stone and to kill that uh, woman for shaming the family, dishonoring treason against Allah. You know, in chapter 3 and verse 85 of the Quran, it says, if you accept another religion, it will never be accepted of you. Muhammad makes it more stark of a contrast when he says, if a Muslim changes his Islamic religion, kill him. And so you have the, the, the stark picture of what would happen to anyone who leaves Islam for any reason, whether they become a Christian or a Jew or a Buddhist, they are to be put to death. They are to be annihilated because they have shamed Allah 
They have mocked the Prophet Muhammad. They've committed treason, is what the Quran says, and ultimately they deserve the lowest levels of hell. All right, question to you and then to Kamal. When you became a Christian as a teenager, you told your dad what happened. Yeah, when I was in middle school, I uh, became a Christian. I got saved, and Jesus saved me, and um, told my father, and he just said, you'll choose to stay between that new religion of yours and me. Uh, it was more merciful than what would happen in Pakistan or Saudi Arabia or a myriad of countries. Uh, but it was more merciful, I believe, because of where I was living, uh, because of the armed forces and their protection of my freedoms. I can speak on the show today. I was able to tell my father. I was at least able to share Jesus with him once. And while I lost him as a father, the beautiful picture of Scripture is, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus promised, even the Great Commission, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And after he disowned you, then how long was it before you saw him again when he came to die? Yeah, I was disowned for a total of 14 years. A couple of days before his death, he said he wanted to see us, which was a remarkable time in my life. I uh, went up to his home in Ohio, got to see him. He handed me a Quran, uh, asked me to revert back to Islam. Of course, I would not. I was there just to share Jesus with him. I wanted to love my father in the greatest way I could, which would be to share the love of Christ. Uh, he wouldn't let a Bible in his home, wouldn't let Jesus be mentioned. He dies four days later. Uh, he wanted me up there, not merely a reconciliation, which was, was an incredible time. He wanted me to, his son to go back to Islam. Kamal, you have a different story. You were part of the Muslim Brotherhood. You came to infiltrate our country, and God wonderfully changed your life and brought you to Christ. But as a result of that, what do you live under? Well, there's a big price uh, to pay, you know, if you look at the worldly aspect of it. Number one, I have fatwas on my head uh, from my family. My family want me dead. Uh, then uh, different families as well and then the Muslim Brotherhood and many others. That's why when they could not kill you physically and you live in a sovereign nation like United States of America, protected by the Constitution, they could not kill you. So they will go after your character assassination to destroy your character that you are not no longer real. So therefore they can you know, stop you from living and being who you are. Uh, my family, I did not see my father when he died. Uh, my, uh, one of my family members called me and they said, they're waiting for you at the airport. If you cross over, you'll be dead. Do not come in. I lost my inheritance. I lost my uh, uh, everything, my heritage. I lost everything. But uh, today I look at something greater. You know, uh, my father in heaven, he is my father who adopted me as a son today. And I have a true father who cares for me. When my father, worldly father, let me go, the Muslim Brotherhood adopted me. And I became a son of radicals. You know, and so therefore I was committing my life to death from its infancy, and I lived by that code. But today, it is the freedom that I live in, in Christ Jesus, because He gave His life for my sake, that I may be a true son grafted into the promise that even God gave to all the Muslim people in Abraham. And so therefore, Jesus became the way and the life and truth, and He's saying to the Muslim, come through me, and I will give you that promise that I gave to your forefather. General, as you've listened to these two, there was a time when you put your faith in Christ, but you didn't face the circumstances these guys did. What would you say to the audience who's listening right now 
And they're hearing people say, listen, what we need to do is implement Sharia here in America. What's your final word? The final word is you uh, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't understand uh, what uh, Sharia is about. You don't understand the consequences of Sharia. You don't understand that it cannot be in a coexistence with our Constitution. We need to be fighting Sharia. We need to stand up against it. We need to have our state legislatures, and we need ultimately to have our federal government, our Congress, to take a stand against Sharia. That can only happen, though, if Christians, people of faith, get involved. Get involved in the political process. Vote. Support candidates. But Sharia cannot coexist with our Constitution, and that is an absolute and for all of these women's groups and all of these gay and lesbian groups that are out there advocating for uh, a peaceful coexistence, what they don't realize is they are the very first ones that are targeted. They are the first ones that lose their rights. In fact, in the case of the LGBT agenda, they are targeted for death. So they need to think about what this is. Get informed. This program is a good way to get informed. Share it with your neighbors. They need to understand what we're talking about here today. Next week we're going to continue this conversation, but we're going to talk about how the Muslim Brotherhood and all of the front organizations that it has brought with it into America, what is the progress that they are making? And we're going to talk about the spheres of influence that they have in our country already. And you will be absolutely shocked to find this out. So I hope that you'll join me next week. If you would like to have all of the information in today's series, Is Islam Really a Religion of Peace? Featuring retired three-star General William G. Boykin and former Muslims Kamal Salim and Dr. Emir Kanner. Three programs in this series are available on DVD for a gift of $39. In this series, they answer the questions, Is Muhammad the excellent example that all Muslims should follow? Do the verses in the Quran teach a religion of peace? When two passages in the Quran conflict, why is it that the intolerant and violent passages that Muhammad gave at the end of his life supersede the peaceful passages he gave earlier? What is Sharia law and why is it so dangerous to democratic nations? The three programs in this series are available on DVD for a gift of $39. Our second series is entitled, Islam's Threat to America and Europe. Here are three guests to explain how the Muslim Brotherhood was established in America, how it has ties to radical Islam, and what their declared goals are for conquering America from within, how the Muslim Brotherhood has infiltrated our schools, our textbooks, our financial institutions, our churches, our government, our law enforcement organizations, and the military. What can Christians do? And what about Europe? Will Islam take over European countries by 2050? The three important programs in this series are also available on DVD for a gift of $39. Third, our series, How is Jesus Awakening the Muslim World? In which author Tom Doyle and former Muslim terrorist Kamal Salim and General Boykin 
tell how Jesus is appearing to Muslims across the world in visions and dreams that are so powerful that Muslims are embracing Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And then fourth, our series, When Muslims Meet Jesus, which you will hear about Kamal Salim's life and miraculous conversion from radical Islam to Christianity. Then fifth, our series, Why Sharia Law Threatens Freedom and Human Rights, with former Sunni Muslims, Drs. Emir and Ergen Kanner. Our sixth series is entitled Trapped Behind the Veil of Islam, in which Drs. Emir and Ergen Kanner describe how 700 million Muslim women live under the teachings of Muhammad and Sharia law. All six of these important television series, containing 18 half-hour programs, are available together in a special package for a gift of only $99. And you may order this special package now by calling us at 1-800-805-3030. That's 1-800-805-3030. Or you may order these programs online at jashow.org. And then remember to watch our latest television programs on your iPhones, Android devices, or tablets. Just download our free John Ankerberg Show app right now. And thank you for joining me. And don't forget, you can download the mobile app for your iPhone or your Android. It's available on Google Play, also at the App Store. And you can get all of these stories on our website. Plus, there's a link for both for the mobile app on the website at wdeanshook.com. Join me on Twitter, wdeanshook. Facebook is wdeanshook. And as usual, when the dust settles and the smoke clears, I'll be back with more truth in the news. Thank you very much. You can get these full stories and more at wdeanshook.com. That's wdeanshook.com.